0: Voyager Radio, self-development radio for the open mind, interviews with leading-edge authors and speakers, and now, Bruce Stephen Holmes for Timeless Voyager Radio.
1: David, you are an MD, a urologist. How did someone like you get involved with Bushmen from South Africa? Is it South Africa now? Yes,
0: originally I was born in South Africa and raised there. In fact, I only came to this country 15 years ago. So I was always familiar with the Bushmen of the Kalahari. We were taught about them at school. Uh, We heard all about the incredible hunting ability, their mystical nature, and uh, the fact that they were really quite special people. So I always had a fascination for the Bushmen, partially enhanced by Lawrence van der Post, who's written a lot of books about it and I'd previously visited Bushman in Southern Africa, but never to any great extent As I, when I lived there.
1: You uh, came to the country then 15 years ago, uh, here to the United States. That's correct. Uh, you live here in Santa Barbara. Is that That's right. right. You um, put together a certain number of, of uh, what would I call these, African journeys. Is there a, a, a name for this that you use? or?
0: Yes, well, this is uh, actually the second one that we're doing. My wife runs an independent uh, uh, travel. She's a tour director for an independent travel agency, and she has previously taken groups to Peru and one group to to southern Africa. And because of my interest and actually my love for Africa, I thought I would just help her with this particular group that's uh, coming up in, uh, in August.
1: Now, you actually lived with the Bushmen.
0: That's right. About uh, three years ago, in 1987, I went up to uh, an area in the southeast Kalahari. I was taken up by uh, a person who knew the area with another group of similarly interested people, and we spent about a week with the Bushmen, who well, actually should be called the San. That's S-A-N. Bushmen isn't really the, the, the right so term for we them. we refer to them as the San. Correct. Fine. Yeah. Uh, And we spent about a week with Hassan, but what I'd done is I'd arranged with the gentleman who took me up there to leave me there on my own with some food supplies and a four-wheel drive. And I stayed there with them for another few weeks all by myself, which was really an incredible experience. This sounds almost like a movie. uh... It wasn't my intention to have it be that way, but uh, it turns out I did do uh, a video on the uh, few weeks I was there, which was well-received. And in Santa Barbara when I came back and uh, it was a real fantasy for me, it was a dream that I'd always wanted to do ever since I can remember and uh, it was a special experience being with them on a one-on-one basis where I could not speak the language, I could not, uh, I had to relate to them, there was nobody else who spoke English there. And uh, I found that even when I went up to the nearby trading store that was about 30 miles away where there were some Indians who were running the trading store, just having them around already took me away from the the San people because their natural tendency is always to go to somebody who speaks the same language as you did. So being there on my own gave me no option but to relate to them one-on-one and that was very, very special for me.
1: These people are living a way of life that could probably be characterized as primitive from a Western viewpoint or perhaps evolved from a New Age philosophical viewpoint in that they are living in uh, alliance with the laws of nature.
0: Uh, I'm pleased you mentioned that because I always get very annoyed when people say, well, why did you go and live with these people that are so primitive? They have nothing. And I think the point is very well taken that they do have nothing, but by the same token, they're far more developed than we are uh, spiritually and socially. They get along together. They're happy. And they do embody all the principles that we, you know, have now come to be associated with Eastern philosophies or, you know, if you like, the New Age movement, such as living in the moment, uh, being at one with nature and the cosmos, um, not judging each other or other people, and loving unconditionally. This was brought dramatically to my attention once with one of the kids. Uh, Kids are, are loved totally unconditionally. A child would pick up a musical instrument and make a hell of a ruckus, which was awful to, to listen to. And there would never be an adult or a parent who would uh, uh, take the child to task and say, stop that, please. Another time I came across a, a little kid hitting uh, her mother with a stick and the mother was just defending herself. She wasn't trying to make any attempt to hurt the child or retaliate. She ended up sort of laughing about the whole thing and then tickling the child and cuddling it and diffuse the whole situation totally differently to anything that we could possibly imagine. So I would agree with you. They have a lot to teach us, and I learned a lot just from being with them.
1: Let's. We're talking about their differences, uh, how they differ, differ between... Uh, or how they differ from civilized man, Uh, and we... (laughs) Civilized man being in quotes here. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about their spiritual practices.
0: Well, the interesting thing is that they don't really have a spiritual practice, I don't think. They just are spiritual. Now, you could say, well, possibly that has Come become that way because of the environment. They do not have any natural water, although now the Botswana government are putting in wells, so water is becoming available to them. But they basically uh, live an existence in the desert uh, and uh, live completely off what there is to provide from the desert, including uh, meat and uh, different kinds of plants and foods that they can get from the, from the soil. They are the, the last hunter-gatherers of Africa. They do about uh, 30% of their food comes from uh, from hunting and about 70% of it comes from foraging. And this mere fact, I think, the fact that they do this already puts them in a totally different spiritual dimension to to what we understand. They have to be at one with nature in order to survive there. They have to be tuned into their, their own intuition. They have to uh, be in a situation where they're at one with the cosmos, otherwise they're just not going to eat. And you could say, you could argue, well, you know, it's not something they've chosen to do, and maybe that's true, and maybe if they had the choice they would like to live like we do, and that's probably also true. But the fact is they are there, and they are living that way, and this accrues incredible benefits for them in terms of their spiritual activity.
1: I was thinking of a few different questions, but I I think... What I would like to uh, ask you about is uh, when you do your African journey, what kind of an itinerary do you follow? Is it flexible? Is it uh, very... uh
0: Well, we limit it to three weeks, so we really have to be quite rigid about what we do, which is very unsan-like. You know, the san are living in the moment and they don't have any structure and they don't have any... um, a sort of uh, curriculum, and that's the way I would like to do it. You know, it takes six months or a year and do a trip and just go with the wind. But unfortunately, we are limited uh, in terms of time, and people are limited in terms of finances, so we have to commit to a very rigid uh, schedule. And the schedule is very carefully laid out to incorporate the best p- uh, parts of southern Africa that I've gleaned from you know, my years of living there, and from my years of going back there to try and find pristine areas.
1: What inspires you to introduce this culture to other people?
0: Well, I think that we've just lost so much that uh, the last thing that's left to, to us that we can regain and hopefully prevent from being spoiled further is the wilderness. And I think that the more people that are introduced back to a wilderness type of situation, the more we will raise the consciousness of the world and uh, try and help um, us live better together.
1: Other agencies um, sell safaris. Why should someone go on your... Safari. This isn't really a safari, but...
0: Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think there are lots of groups that are doing similar things. I wouldn't like to say we're totally unique. I think what may be a little unique is the places that I've been to, very few people have been to. I have uh, a lot of experience in terms of knowing the best parts of that part of the world. And uh, in addition, it's a very personal journey for me. It's, uh, they're all places that I love, uh, with, uh, people that I know and, uh, and I'm, I'm intimate with. So that I'm not really taking people to see Africa as much as I'm taking them to see a, a very personal aspect of a certain Africa I understand and know. And I think the, the fact that I love it so well will will be generated to the people who come with me, and it's contagious.
1: So you're not making a living at this, let's say, like a travel agent would be. This is something that you want to do.
0: Yes, you know, in fact... And you're uh,
1: inviting people to come with you if they can afford to. What types of people generally would you expect to take... A trip like this with
0: you? Well I think it'll be a selected group because uh, it's not, uh, just to give you some idea, visiting the sand and the Kalahari it's going to be rough camping. Uh, there's no water for showers, they will be there several days, there will be very rudimentary arrangements, there'll be tents, there'll be bedrolls, uh, there'll be enough water to drink but certainly not enough to wash in and um, Uh, that already takes out about 95% of the people who want to go to Africa. How about health concerns? Health concerns I'm very well aware of because you know I did my medicine in Southern Africa. I was trained there so uh, I'm very well equipped to handle that. And what type of health should a person be in They should be in good physical condition. I don't think they have to be in superb physical condition. You being an MD, are you going
1: to screen these people?
0: (laughs) No, I don't think so. We are doing a five-day wilderness walk in the bush. And although this isn't an endurance test, like my wife takes a group to Peru that do the Inca Trail, that requires you to be in very good physical condition. Uh, This is basically a a wilderness walk through the bush, but there may be a challenge like if you have a black rhino coming after you You may be happy if you can run and you're fit So that the uh, fitter you are the more confident you feel. I think also the more You feel the bush is not so much a threat to you I think it's important for people to come to Africa and to get beyond the physical Discomforts of Africa so that they can actually enjoy it.
1: So you're not looking for the quote typical um, tourist with the Hawaiian shirt on and the hat and the cameras and <laughs> no, that's, never not, that's
0: not who goes on this trip No, that's not who we're looking for we're looking for a select uh, bunch of people who enjoy wilderness in America in different ways and other parts of the world in different ways and who can get beyond physical uh, comfort to get to the essence of the, of the, the bush and the spirit of the bush all right, let's come back
1: then to the Kalahari, which is, uh, how big is that
0: area? It's a vast area. I, I can't really tell you how many square miles it is, but it's a huge section of central southern Africa. It borders on Namibia, it borders on uh, Zimbabwe, it, it intrudes into southern Africa um, on both the northern and on the, uh, in the central zone. So it's a huge area of desert. How many different are these tribes? Well, the, the, the San is really one group. They are the original inhabitants of Southern Africa. They are the people that have been there the longest. Their, their rock art goes back about 25,000 years. So the, they've at least been there 10,000 years. The intruders to Southern Africa are the whites who came up from the south and the blacks who pushed down from the north. Uh, squeezing the San into the Kalahari. They really used to inhabit the more beautiful uh, parts of Southern Africa until they were pushed out. They're very gentle people, they've they've never wanted much confrontation, they just wanted to be uh, hunter-gatherers and uh, eventually the Kalahari was all that was left for them. Now that's no longer the case either because Botswana and the Kalahari have become prime areas for cattle ranching for game areas and for uh, um, hunting. So the, the place for the San in uh, southern Africa is becoming more and more limited. But there are several tribes of what are called the Khoisan. There are at least four different groups. The most uh, well-known is the Kung San, which you've probably seen on the Gods Must Be Crazy type mm-hmm. of movie. The ones that I visited are called the San, uh, a different group in the, in the southern, southeast there are only about, probably less than a thousand of them living in the true hunter-gatherer way. Is this total, total all the groups? Uh, the, uh, of those living as hunter-gatherers?
1: Um, I'm just confused because I... Is, uh, the San, is is that one group or is that the name of all the people? That's
0: the name of all these people. They look differently. I should have made that clear. They, they do not have negroid features. They are very distinctly different and are much more mongoloid in their appearance. Mm-hmm. They have high cheekbones, they have peppercorn hair, they're delicate in stature, they're quite short. So what, they're kind of like our classic concept of a pygmy perhaps. Well, the pygmy are more negroid, but they okay. uh, these are more, more more mongoloid. In fact, it's even been theorized that maybe they came from Tibet or somewhere like that. They, in fact, stories go that when Japanese or Chinese people have visited with them, they they see them as more likeness than they do than the African people around them. So, is the total about a thousand then of the San? No, they're more than that. There are about sixty thousand left, but only less than a thousand living in the the old way. Ah. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, has anyone ever considered the idea of protecting them as uh, an endangered, well, important part of 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 man's history?
0: Yes, they have, and you know, this is a difficult political and ethical problem because it you know it it raises up uh, questions of. Um, possible discrimination I, th- I don't think you can protect them you have to allow them to, to grow into the society uh, in the safest way possible the problem is how to do that as one South African said to me is that you cannot, you cannot preserve the San anymore but you can preserve their consciousness and, that's a shame and, I would think mm-hmm.
1: that you could just say this is their territory no
0: one goes there and they will be allowed to live Well, the South Africans have actually done that, and and they've been criticized, in a way, for doing it because it it sounds uh, more in keeping with the apartheid policy, you know. But they have uh, set aside an area which was originally Southwest Africa, now is Namibia, which is an independent country. But uh, the South Africans did set aside an area they called Bushmanland for this purpose. But it doesn't work that way. They have to have the option of doing whatever they want to do and uh, they gradually are being introduced into the white ways. Not that they're any good, but uh, they want to be part of it. Let's talk a
1: little bit about the life of a bushman.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great life. They they work a twenty-hour week. There's a very uh, that sounds good already. <laughs> famous anthropologist called uh, Richard Lee who's written a book on them, and. Uh, That's something to to talk about. They walk out of their back door and they walk into this vast expanse of Kalahari Desert and they can find with their skills enough to eat and to sustain themselves so that most of their time is leisure time. It's spent uh, chatting, joking, making things, uh, dancing, singing, and uh, a 20-hour week is something to be envied.
1: (laughs) All the things that (laughs) (laughs) we think we'll do when we retire. Right, right. Um... What do the people who take the journey with you actually do while visiting the Bushmen?
0: Well, the main thing is to let them see the skills of the Bushmen because I don't think these are going to be around for much longer. Already the skills of finding water in the desert from roots and uh, different other sources are slowly being lost as the Botswana government put in wells for these people. I think it's incredible that if you look at the equipment that these, uh, the San people have, they have a digging stick, they have a little bow and arrow which looks like a toy, they have a sipping straw which is a big hollow straw which they can sip water with, and they have a little fire stick which is in the old way of a fire stick that we're all familiar with. They can walk out into that expanse of desert and survive indefinitely, and that is unbelievable. To me it just Talk was... Talk about
1: traveling light.
0: Yeah, exactly. And not only can they do it, but their kids can do it. And here we are where, you know, we just are so far away from this way of life. And uh, it's just a great pleasure for me to go and witness this. And I think it would be very exciting for people to see what is possible with the earth, what you can actually do if you take care of it.
1: Do the people who travel with you on this live in special quarters separated, or do we actually live, I say we, I'm already on the trail. (laughs) Do they actually live with the Bushmen?
0: No, they won't be living with them because that may be an intrusion on their space. But there will be tents erected, and they will be in proximity with the with the sun, and there'll be daily uh, show and tell demonstrations: how to dig for roots, how to set a trap, how to poison your bow and arrow, because they rely on poisoned arrows for their for their hunting, etc.
1: What do the Bushmen think <laughs> of all this?
0: Well, the Bushmen actually—they—they wonderful people, and they—they uh, they actually enjoy the visitors. They also enjoy the benefits of the visitors because they—you know—you do pay them in kind. You, uh, most of the people bring clothing with them. So there's uh, a lot of trading going uh, on. There's a lot of on. trading going on, and it's their one way of you know relating uh, economically with the Western world now. So they like it, but I think it does exhaust them because they are on show, and uh, I know that. Probably by the time you're ready to go, they're ready to let you go.
1: Now, they're different in the way they relate with each other. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about their relationships, uh, their type of hierarchy, uh, maybe the government... Um, how they how they uh, work as a society.
0: Yeah well that's very interesting because they usually are in small bands of about 40. This was an efficient hunter gatherer group. They are totally equal. They are completely egalitarian. There's no chief. There's no leader. They have a, um, a principle of modesty that per- pervades the whole little group and nobody is allowed to sort of step out of turn and become arrogant so that you can be the best hunter but you don't get any additional advantages for being the best hunter. You can be the best medicine man but that doesn't afford you any any benefits whatsoever.
1: So they almost live according to the traditional caste system going back to the way the caste was set up in India before it became a rigid structure of society in that people were born according to their Dharma, did something according to their Dharma, and that was their function. And then out of that function, uh, there was no uh, highness or placing of being important based on your function, but rather that your function was there for everyone to make use of.
0: That sounds correct. I'm not familiar with that, but that, that would fit quite, quite well. It's also interesting they have a a tradition of, uh, they call it insulting the meat, where a a bushman, say, would would, uh, bring down a beautiful antelope, something like, uh, or something huge like a giraffe, enough to feed everybody and uh, some of the other groups around. But the person who, who would come across the kill, say his friend had killed it and his friend would call him to come and bring the meat back to the group, the first thing that this gentleman who was called to help would say is that, why would you want me to come and help with this miserable little piece of meat? It's not enough to feed anybody. So have, they have this way of joking with each other which keeps each other in place and I think makes uh, living at close quarters tolerable. All of this is changing now.
1: So they don't have that concept, I guess, of greed or me being first.
0: No, they don't. It just, you know, I think the reason they have survived all these, these uh, centuries in the Kalahari is because it's uh, all for one and one for all. And uh, they know that as a, as a group they can survive. But as an individual it's just not going to happen. Let's
1: listen to a little bit of this music again. What is this uh, piece we're going to listen to?
0: Uh, This is a a piece of music that I recorded uh, uh, when I was there. A lot of the activity happened at night because I was there in the middle of summer. It was extremely hot in the day, so we would only have activities in the cool of the day. But at night, everything would come alive. They would sing and they would dance. And this is one of the the more beautiful songs that I recorded. And it's actually more of a Tswana song. Tswana is the local black uh, um, uh, group of people but um, the Bushmen are singing it but I think the Bushmen are becoming more and more introduced into the African way of life into the uh, their customs and also their music
1: Now are there, is there anything else that you'd like to just remind us about or
0: tell us about in this journey? I think the thing that the journey concentrates on is firstly the, uh, the benefit of the wilderness in uh, helping the mind, the body, and soul. Uh, I think that this happens in the wilderness uh, at all at all of these levels. And uh, the whole ob- object of the trip is to try and facilitate this amongst people. And we've gotten the best people available uh, in terms of uh, wildlife experience. All of them, I think, that are taking the group. A person called Ian Player is actually going to be taking the five-day. Wilderness walk through the Umfalosi game reserve in Zululand He is a very special person himself and is probably one of the premier conservationists in Africa today Uh, He was probably responsible for saving the white rhino from extinction They started to uh, dart them and breed them in captivity and then release them back into the bush uh, Many years ago and now they are actually exporting white rhino from, from Zululand So uh, there'll be a lot of talent in Southern Africa to draw on and this is my ideal is to try and get people to uh, get access to this wonderful world of uh, talent that abounds in Africa all over.
1: Well, David, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for coming on the Timeless Voyager show and I'm looking forward very much to hearing about this this trip that he uh, will be taking and uh, I hope that you'll come back on the show and tell us more about it afterwards so we can hear about how it happened. I wish I could go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much. I'll be happy to come back. All right. This is Bruce Holmes,
1: The Timeless Voyager.
0: Thank you.